So what makes a chatbot or a conversational interface actually work? What kind of work do you need to do to get a chatbot to do what you want it to do? These are pivotal questions and questions that for most business leaders are still somewhat mysterious, but that's exactly what we're aiming to answer on this episode of the AI and Industry Podcast. Uh, this week, we speak with Madhu Mathahali, who is the CTO and co-founder of a firm called Passage AI, uh, which is in the Bay Area. I believe they're based in Mountain View. Uh, we speak specifically about what kinds of tasks conversational interfaces are best at, what kinds of word tracks, what kinds of question and answer are they suited for, and which are a bit beyond their grasp right now. And in addition to that, we speak about what it takes to train these machines. In other words, how to define the particular word tracks that we want to be able to automate and sort of determine which of them might be lower hanging fruit for applying a chatbot and which of them might not. Lots of useful tidbits here. I really think about the AI and industry podcast as, as helping business leaders sort of get their hands on the tools and an understanding of the possibility space of AI to sort of understand fundamentally what the tech can do in different spaces so that they can imagine the future of their own companies. And this is a great example of exactly that in the conversational interface space. Whether you're thinking about the future of voice or thinking about how you interact with your customers or even answer internal questions from employees at scale, hopefully this interview will be more than helpful uh, in terms of opening up sort of the possibility space of the chatbots and conversational interfaces in general. So without further ado, I'm Dan Fagell, and this is AI and Industry, and you're listening to Madhu with Passage AI. So Madhu, where I thought we'd start off is sort of the, the kind of low-hanging fruit areas of capability for chatbots or conversational interfaces. I, I told you a little bit off microphone here that I think a lot of executives either presume all chatbots are kind of overblown and, and not very worthwhile, or chatbots can really talk and really understand and they can kind of do it all. And clearly it's a little bit more detailed than there. When you guys think about where you see the deepest kind of grooves of real traction and business for chatbots uh, and conversational interfaces, how would you describe those to a business audience? Well, great question, Dan. And where we are starting off with right now is uh, in the areas of customer service and knowledge bases, FAQs, yep. right? The customer service is one of those areas where all of us have experienced long wait times, especially when we call up uh, 1-800 numbers, right? Oh, yeah. And more often than not, the vast majority of these questions are what we classify as the mundane questions, right? Here, I need to, my internet is not working, right? Or where is my order? Right now, these are questions that don't necessarily need a human in the loop, and these are things that the system can try to automate and answer some of this stuff. Right, and these are areas we are certainly seeing quite a bit of traction. And a second similar area is in the, is in the frequently asked questions or the knowledge bases. Yeah. Right. Where again, a lot of the people are coming in and asking, "What's your return policy? Uh, my coupon expired yesterday. Can I still use it today?" Right. These are the questions. Again, the information is already available in some sort of a frequently asked question or a knowledge base. And the customers are just not willing to go look it up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because who is they right? Just, Nobody ever does. Exactly. Or at least I don't. Maybe I'm the one lazy guy listening in. Maybe all my listeners are like, oh, I look it up every time. But yeah, I know I don't. Now, believe it or not, something like 40% of all the questions that come into a customer service agent are these sort of questions. Yeah. And the agents are taking their time to answer the questions while the remaining 60 are actually waiting on the line with a real important question, right? 
Now, what if we can automate all of these 40% of the questions, right? If we are able to identify the question easily, and these are straightforward questions, right? Whereas my order should not actually require a human in the loop. Nope. I should be able to get your order ID or an email and go look up FedEx and answer the question and tell you exactly when it will arrive. And it's not too far-fetched to think about it. Yeah. So if you can just eliminate that 40%, of all the call volumes it's a huge win not just for the business but also for the customer because the 40 percent of the customers are no longer holding up the customer's time the customer service agent's time and they are getting their question answered easily and the agent is also happy because now they're they actually have that extra time to service the remaining customers with real value and real real deep questions yeah be helpful beyond what you know some macro in a spreadsheet could do for you if somebody just wrote the darn thing or something so it sounds like just listening to you describe these two slots here you know we're talking about frequently asked questions types of general stuff and then we're talking about more customer service interactions which might be delivery or payment or refund related or or something like that clearly the thing that these have in common is volume you mentioned that maybe 40 percent of questions are on the faq so that's that's clearly a volume thing customer service for you know, big enough firms, we would have a lot of volume as well. But kind of speaking off microphone, and, and we've talked to other folks in the conversational space, you'd also use the idea of kind of these these common grooves of dialogues where there's there's kind of branches that are maybe frequent enough to help train on. So it seems like it's a volume thing, but then it's also the fact that those types of questions maybe often are going to broadly sift themselves into some some sort of common branches. Could you describe a little bit of how that works? You know, why it is that these two high volume areas end up being, let's say, lower hanging fruit for, for a chatbot than, you know, another, another more niche or complicated question? Sure. And, and so, some of these questions, right? I mean, the customers are always thinking their order is slightly different, right? The yeah, way, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe you came in and asked like, you know, hey, I ordered for a black pants, and but I got the blue ones instead. Can you help me with that? Right? Now, these are things, some of the elements or the entities, we, we should be able to extract some of them and go build specific logic, like, you know, simple if-then conditions, right? Very trivial ones. Uh, decision trees, right? And these are areas that are commonly defined workflows for the majority of the use cases, right? So the fact that the user actually did not receive all their order, it's very straightforward to identify that from the user message and put the user into the particular decision tree or workflow and then go take it from there, right? Now, the huge advantage that the bots already have is the historical purchase or the history of the customer interactions, right? The customer already knows where they are. The bot already knows what the customer has done. And they can start to look at things personalized to that particular customer and actually build out that decision tree, right? And then again, the vast majority of these workflows are not specific to a particular customer. So we don't need to personalize a lot of this stuff. But instead, just follow the particular workflow and enable the right answer to the particular customer. Yeah. So, Can we go into a couple examples maybe, maybe in food services or retail or anything that maybe comes to mind for you, Madhu? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, let's let's take like food service as you just mentioned here, right? Uh, ordering a burger, right? The way you order a burger may be different than 
the way I order the same burger, right? Uh, you may say, can you order a burger with cheese? I can say, can you order a burger without cheese, right? The workflow itself, like uh, there are only limited set of attributes or limited set of toppings that a burger can have. It's not too many. Now, the customization is not that complicated here, right? There are so many burgers and so many toppings that can go on the burger, right? Yes, granted, the way you order it, the way you render the same sentences, the, the same message in them can be multiple different ways. But at the end of the day, the toppings that go on the burger, the quantity of the burger, what you want along with it, whether you want a Pepsi or a Coke, it doesn't change, right? And we don't have to be very, very customized to the particular customer's order, like personalized. We yeah. can still understand the natural language, understand the dependencies, right? Uh, when you say with cheese, without cheese, cheese on the side, these are all yeah. just different ways of rendering the same thing, right? We just need to identify using natural language. How do I understand what the user is asking? Comprehend the request, understand the intent, and map it to a workflow. And we should be able to handle a lot of these sorts of scenarios. Yeah, and I think this is a really important thing for the listeners to to tune in and understand is that um, it's not it's not all magic and and instant results. It's not all gunk. There are domains that that kind of map, as maybe you were sort of hinting here, onto these common flows. And if and if that can be thought through, and NLP can be applied to those, and we can kind of train on so many similar instances, it is possible to nail these possibility spaces of a thing as limited as let's say, order me a burger or different kinds of of food. And this leads us a little bit, Madhu, into our next question, which is where and how things get a little bit deeper. I think people are excited to see how conversational interfaces get more nuanced, maybe more personalized, a little bit smarter, so to speak, in terms of being able to handle more of what it is that humans do today. What are some of the newer capabilities in, in maybe the coming few years that, that you think will become increasingly maybe possible within this domain of conversational interface that maybe isn't really all that much in use today? Yeah, it's a, great, it's a great question, right? And one of the things that we are actually super excited and we are working towards is this concept of dialogues, right? A dialogue, simply put, is multi-state conversations, right? So in case of a question and answer, it's very straightforward, right? I can ask you, hey, where is my order? And you can tell me where is my order, and that is about it, right? Um, those are what we can call as dialogue state version one, Right. Now, the minute you start doing multi-state conversations, right? For example, I can ask you, do you have a preferred restaurant, right? You may not necessarily have a preferred restaurant, but you may have a preferred cuisine in a particular location, right? You can come up and say, hey, I'm looking for something Asian in San Francisco, and I'm looking for a table for two between 7 and 8 p.m., right? Now, what if we do not have that restaurant available? Or what if we don't have that particular uh, requirement satisfied, right? The you and the bot should be able to negotiate and land on a particular restaurant of your choice that's available, right? Now, as you start working towards enabling something like this, it starts getting very complicated, right? Because it's a combination of what your preferences are, what is available, and how is the bot able to handle all of these different things, right? There are confirmations that you can give. There are negations that you can give. Uh, you can ask the bot to hold off, right? You can, there are several different things that can happen. Huh. And 
it start, things starts getting very complicated very very fast unless you actually have a solid dialoguing system uh, in place right to handle some of this stuff right and while while configuration is great the reality is there are millions of ways you can actually take a dialogue off on right and how do you build out the system in the most easiest of the ways while leveraging a lot of the data and using some sort of a machine learning technique to identify these different dialogues and the nuances between the dialogues Right. So that's something that we are kind of working on right now, and that's yeah. super exciting. Yeah. And so it sounds like I'll just clarify and maybe paint a mental picture for the listeners, because um, I, I dig where you're going here, is that there are occasions where a single prompt, get me X, order me Y, whatever the case may be, it's just not going to do it. It's it's not a complete sort of statement. And so you would need a bit of a Q&A, a bit of, you know, as we're saying here, a dialogue to kind of distill down what is the best fit? What do you really mean, Mr. User, Mrs. User? What do you really want me to do, Mr. User, Mrs. User? And that it would actually require some of that back and forth. I can imagine we'd have to start to some degree in a, in a similar way that we have with more of our, our straight Q&A, where we'd have to find common areas of that dialoguing and look at the common possibility space of what gets ping-ponged within that dialogue and then kind of nail those common dialogue pockets with the volume of, of training data we'd have. So we'd probably have to find sort of where in, let's say, food services or let's say clothing retail, e-commerce. We have a lot of opportunity for that back and forth that machines can't handle. And then we'd want to kind of knuckle down to those those biggest existing maybe simple dialogue spaces? Is, is this the way that maybe the problem would get tackled to some degree? Exactly, exactly, right? I mean, the way, the way, one of the ways we can actually start thinking about it is every message that comes in from the user, you can map it to a certain intent. Uh, you can map it to a certain label, like in a dialogue act is what we call, uh, and you can extract entities uh, out of it, right? Now, when you have these three, uh, and the historical state, of course, right? Now, how much data do you have from a machine learning perspective for each one of these states, right? So if you can just take a look at the customer service interactions, right? Simple stuff like you know, booking a travel, like you know, I'm looking for a flight ticket from San Francisco to Seattle starting Monday. Can you give me the best options, right? Now, there are a few things that you have missed in this, right? Uh, do you want a morning flight or an evening flight? Is it a one-way or a two-way trips, right? Yeah. Now, the system has to identify all the missing components, ask the user for filling them in, right? And the user can come back and say, hey, I don't care whether it's morning or evening, right? And the bot has to understand that it, did the user confirm a time or did the user just inform about a preference, right? What is the subtle difference between confirmation, affirmation, information, and and handle it accordingly? right and none of these can actually be configured right because there's like just too many ways of doing the same thing yep you need to have some data using some customer service interaction dialogues the historical stuff look at what sort of patterns are there today right that we can actually leverage and then identify what are the dialogues that we can actually build up right and as important as it is to find the dialogues that can be supported, it's equally important to find out what cannot be supported. Totally. Right? Yeah. Talk about that a bit. Exactly. Right. So the bot cannot handle everything. Right. And the technology, the systems are just not there today 
to identify every single person's use case, the nuances. And so we really need to know where we have the most amount of confidence on and where we cannot, right? Where the bot cannot handle that with enough confidence. It has to have an escape valve, right? And figure out a way how to transfer the customer to a live agent that can actually help them, right? Because the last thing the bot can do is to annoy the customer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we have all been in places like that, right? Now we have all worked with the IVR systems where it just keeps saying like, you know, press one for this, press two for this. And I keep pressing zero. I want to talk to a customer agent because none of these satisfy what I'm looking for. And we need to have those escape hatch so that where we have the confidence, we try to promote that to the customer. Where we do not have the confidence, we need to figure out a way before the customer gets frustrated hand them off to the customer service agents. Yep, and that's, man, that's the art of all of this. And I think, um, you know, to your point, a lot of folks probably didn't understand until until sort of having it articulated for them that there's such an art and a science to picking the sweet spots you want to automate and also to determining where the handoff is. And that has to do with how complicated the flow is, how much data volume you have, how important it is for the business, right? That, that must be a very high-level strategic process for your company, I can imagine, to kind of think through those problems really well. Exactly, exactly. And and this one thing that we'd always talk to our customers is none of this happens on day one, right? There is no magic on day one, right? It is the amount of data that we keep capturing and it is the learning that happens over a period of time which enables us, right? So for one of our big customers, right, on day one, we were handling only around 30% of all the messages, right? Only 30%. 70% of them were still going off to the live agent. And we kept evolving the bot. We kept adding the new use cases. We kept adding the new dialogues. And today we are handling around 85% of all the messages. And the call volume has gone up, right? So 85% of a much bigger call volume than 30% of a much smaller volume. The only difference between these two is looking at the data, getting the learning going, the self-learning aspects of it and keep optimizing the bot, right? It takes time to build out the stuff, right? And th the beauty of this is because we always have the escape hatch, you can, it's it's a tunable. We can always yep. determine when the customer is not happy and keep pushing them off to the live agent while learning from that in, the live agent interaction and bringing it back to the bot. Yeah, it, it, people I think need to understand that iterative process, right? You probably have to explain that every time you potentially run a pilot or, or talk about doing a deal is you have to make sure that people are on the same page that, you know, it's not a it's not a pre-built IT system that we plug in and the answers happen. This is this is kind of science that we're building, tweaking and feeding back into to build something more robust over time. Exactly. Yeah, and so exactly. And and we also need to be aware of what the bot is learning, right? It's not a it's not a closed system. There is always uh, a tap in to see what exactly is the bot replying back. So we we do an evaluation almost every week for every single bot to ensure that the bot has learned the right thing. Yeah, right? yeah. And if the bot has not learned the right thing, it's important to basically pull it back and then let the bot learn again, like sit on it for some more time. So the, the testing validation of the learning is extremely important, as important as identifying the dialogues and building out the configurations. Yep, and people have to understand that. I think safe to say, Madhu, that the world of IT, the world of customer service, the world of marketing, 
is not used to solutions that involve that kind of feedback loop and kind of iterative tweaking and uh, looking out for algorithmic drift for systems that start kind of preferencing certain kinds of responses that aren't proper. That kind of iterative tuning is, is not normal, but hopefully as, as more and more solutions become robust and it becomes worthwhile to do this work, which is different for many companies, uh, it'll only become a more and more popular thing and, and that'll help proliferate the capabilities of the tech. So I got my fingers crossed for that. I wanted to ask one last yeah. question before we, we break, Madhu, um, just because mm-hmm. I'm wary of time. Just to, you know, it's always fun to hear from people who focus all day, every day in a certain space and basically ask how they would put in a nutshell the real sea change happening in that space. Basically, uh, how they would encapsulate what the future of this technology would look like in the real world. So when you when you look forward, you know, you're, you're with your team or you're imagining things with clients and, and you're imagining what's the world like, you know, five, seven, whatever years from now in terms of where conversational interfaces are a part of our lives what are some of those cool things that, that you see looking forward that you consider to be pretty viable that maybe people should understand? Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, there is the evolutionary and there is the revolutionary changes coming in, right? So one of the things evolutionary-wise, most of the car companies have committed to integrating with either the Alexa or the Siri or the Google Voice by 2020, right, within the next two to three years. Now, that opens up a huge opportunity for most of us, right? Uh, One of the things that we think is the car is one of the most private places you are in, right? Most of the times you are traveling alone, you don't mind interacting with the bot when you're in the car. You don't mind having voice-based transactions. Yep. So you can say, hey, read me my emails, right? Or can you set up my appointment with this person, right, at 2 p.m. today, right? Or even doing some of the banking transactions, right? You don't mind doing it, one, because it's a private environment and it's safe, right? Uh, It's actually safer than your house because in the house, you may have all sorts of people, like your own family, listening on some of the stuff, which you may not be comfortable with, right? But in the car, when you're driving, you don't mind doing it, right? So that is one of the things that we are seeing and the amount of possibilities, right? L- tracking a package, you don't mind doing it in a car. You can basically call up FedEx and say, hey, can you uh, delay my delivery from 2 p.m. today to like 5 p.m. when I'm back at home, right? You don't mind doing some stuff like this or ordering a latte on your way to work or ordering a burger. All of these scenarios are things that we can actually automate and we can we totally imagine like, a few years from now, evolutionary-wise, you will be doing this stuff, right? We are already doing that stuff with our phone and apps today. We can start doing this stuff in the car using voice, right? And both of our hands are still on the steering wheel and we're still not distracted. And it is safe for all of us to enable that. Yeah. So you see this as a a frontier space for kind of the, the voice tech. And I know a lot of other folks do. Nuance, for example, is aiming to put a lot of attention in this space. It sounds like maybe just to try to clarify here, do you see the car as maybe a Petri dish for a lot of these kind of um, next level of having voice handle basic tasks, like the next level of convenience for voice? Do you think that a lot of the Petri dishing of this will be within a car environment? Within a car, exactly, exactly. And it's not just for the consumers, right? Like if you start taking Hmm. businesses, right? Think of the UPS truck drivers, the FedEx truck, truck, yeah, truck yeah, drivers. Yeah, yeah, okay, right? okay. 
Now, it is important to the businesses that their employees who are driving around these trucks, they keep both of their hands on the steering wheel. Right? It is super important for them. And they've actually taken a lot of steps to ensure that. Right? Their voice is free. The voice is available. Right? And the, these drivers, the delivery guys, they can still keep interacting with the businesses about like rerouting, about having a delivery or a misdelivery or any changes that happens to their routing. They can keep interacting with the, with the business and the bot. To enable some stuff, right? The new new workflows will actually start getting created because now all of a sudden voice is enabled in all of these cars and automobiles, right? Yeah. Now, in addition to that, there is a revolutionary piece, right? What more can you do with voice, right? We have already seen the rise of personal assistants, right? The Alexas, the Google Homes. It's so much more easy to enable like you know voice-based systems in your house today, right? So we're also seeing a lot of the refrigerators, kitchen uh, appliances come in, which can actually start enabling some workflows that you would not have imagined today, right? Like you know, the, the refrigerator can come in tomorrow and say, hey, you are running out of milk. Should I just reorder it, right? These are trigger-based systems that we can imagine like a few years from now and you are actually interacting with these appliances or the bots to start making your life simpler, right? So all the mundane things that you're doing in your house today, those are all areas that we can easily automate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is a lot of evolutionary and revolutionary stuff coming in. Uh, We are super excited about the evolutionary parts. I think three to five years from now, we will start looking at voice as a key enabler of a lot of these workflows. Yeah, everybody feels like we're close, right? Everybody feels like, oh, at some point, voice will unlock all of these things. And I think hopefully a bit of what you've kind of laid out here will, you know, maybe, uh, at least from what you're suspecting, maybe some of the the latter steps that we use to get to this new plateau where so many new things are just done by people talking and that becomes kind of the new norm. Yeah. I, I think what we need next is to talk to the roboticist and, and get get the robot to fulfill some of those tasks like make a sandwich, um, exactly. That's that's <laughs> what be, I need. That's gonna be, that's my next interview, Madhu. We're gonna combine this with robotics, and and I am never gonna have to make a sandwich again. So I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, that, that's all we have for time. I'm really glad we got to shake out some of those insights. I appreciate the vision. I think that's always one of the most fun parts of our interviews, and I appreciate you joining us here on AI and Industry. So thank you again, Madhu. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from 
marketing and advertising, business intelligence to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.